0: What's the answer to all the division that's around us? It's apparent when we literally walk on the streets, or maybe we talk in our friend groups, or at work, or at home, or seeing the media, radio, newspaper. Anyone read newspaper? I do, every Saturday. I get paper copy and I read it. There's so much division in politics, in economics, in race. Social division. What is the answer to all of this? What does actual unity look like? And what is the role of the church amidst all this division? There's literally riots and protests over racial issues, over the economics of things, over COVID, over masking, over the vaccine. There's division over everything and it's human nature it's the story of humanity we seek our own position and we want it to triumph we see it in marriages we see it in friendships we see it amongst children what is the answer well the world thinks we just need to amp up inclusion this idea of inclusion which in and of itself, sounds okay. Of course, we want to include people. Of course, the church wants to include people. But the way inclusion is being defined today is it the way forward in answering the question of division. If you've ever seen the transgender flag or the black indigenous people of color flag, BIPOC flag, it's continuing to change. To include more people, they're adding a circle now in the middle or on the left side to include intersex people. What is intersex people? Well, there is now 114 gender identities. Intersex is one kind of category, 114 different gender identities male. Female plus 112 more, all in the name of inclusion, to bring unity in our country, in our world. But it's creating more division, because now you have 112 more people to include. Some people are choosing to identify as animals. This is real. People are choosing or Identifying as a different race. There's a lady, her name is Ali London. She's, an, she's, from, she's from England. She's a white British lady who had surgery to change her eyes so they would look more Korean. She identifies as Korean, and not only that, she identifies as another person, as a gentleman from a boy band in Korea. She identifies as a different race and as a different person. And this is okay. This is not where my fight is. But when we look at how the world is trying to include everybody, it's a bit chaotic. There's no definition. We have no objective stance or position to go to. It's kind of open season. There's 114 gender identities. Tomorrow, there could be 200. The next year, there's an infinite spectrum. What are we to do with this world that's swirling around? This division, it's in the church. People say, I listen to this person. I read this translation only. I come from this heritage. And some divisions are right and are biblical. But so much of On what we're divided on is simply our selfishness and our sin playing out. And so as we look in this book of Ephesians, this man named Paul is writing this book to this church in Ephesus. He's reminding his readers of who God is and how he is uniting the world and how we are to be united in what he has done and who he is. We need to be reminded of that. He wants to see the church united. Not divided, but united over things of the scriptures, of the Bible. Not what the world is trying to say, this is what the church should be doing. As the world in Canada, in Canada, are burning churches down. Vandalizing churches. What is our role in this? Paul is giving a beautiful reminder in Ephesians of what unity looks like and how the church is to function in the world and how the church is to grow. And when I'm talking about growth, I'm not talking necessarily about numerical growth. There's a lot of literature out there in Christianity about church growth models, breaking the 200 barrier, breaking the 1,000 barrier, breaking the 10,000 barrier. One of the largest churches in the world is in South Korea. And it claims over 450,000 members. Is that what we want? There's so much information out there. There's so much chaos in the world. There seems to be chaos in the world, in, in the church. But Paul is saying this is the foundation that we should stand on. On the word of God. On the God who is three in one. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this God. Not these other gods, not these other ideologies, but the God of the Scriptures. And Paul teaches us about him. And so we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're in the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4. This is one of those passages, and there's a lot of passages like this in the Bible, where it just needs to be read, and all we need to do is listen and apply it. It's, it's, it's so rich, it's so beautiful, it's so applicable. But I will explain a little bit of what we read. We'll read the first two verses and we'll pause and then we'll, we'll keep going. should be about seven and a half hours, something like that. Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. We're in chapter 4. The first three chapters, Paul gloriously spells out what the gospel is the gospel of God who created the universe, who created you and me. And we have rebelled, we have sinned, we have departed from God, but God in his majesty and in his mystery is reconciling, uniting the world to himself at the cost of his own son, the glorious son, Jesus Christ. We have offended a great God, But God has done the work to unite us, and by faith in Jesus, by what he's done on the cross 2,000 years ago, by paying the penalty for our rebellion, for our sin, unites us. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are my brother, you are my sister, more so than my blood relatives. We are united by Christ through faith. We are one family now. It doesn't matter our race, where we come from, what we've done. We are a new humanity. We are a new family in Christ. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, this invitation to be adopted to his family is open. And you must take it. I plead with you to do so. Because to reject such a great salvation is a conscious torment under the full wrath of God in hell, separated from his goodness, separated from his saving grace. Look to Jesus and what he has done. Those are the first three chapters. Christ is united. God, the Father is united. The Holy Spirit is united. We are one. And now he's saying, Therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of this calling. If you're training to be a professional soccer player, and you you train in Canada, and one day you're sitting in your living room no, you're not sitting in your living room. You're doing your 1,000th push-up, and you get this call. It's the coach of the national team for Canada. And he says, Jimmy, I've been watching you. You're looking good. You okay? How's your kids? How's your family? Would you like to represent your country? This is why I've called you. And now to live An athletic life worthy of this calling. You're training. You're an ambassador for your country. You're wearing the country colors proudly. Singing the anthem loudly. Representing all those who've gone before you. That's the call you get when the coach calls you. If God calls you and says, Jimmy, there's a great war out there and my son has already won. I want you to be part of my family. I want you to tell everyone that the war is over, that Jesus Christ has won, and they are included in the family. I need you to walk in a life that represents my unity. I need you to walk a life worthy of this calling. How do I do that? How do I live a life that is worthy of this calling of the gospel? Well, Paul says in verse 2, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Are we patient? Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love and our love for one another. Because of God's love towards us. Do we give people the benefit of the doubt Or are we quick to rush to judgment and we're not humble, we're not gentle, we're not patient? I know I can be. This world is very fast. Information is fast. We need things done quick. I need my kids to behave right away, but they don't. We want weight loss quick. We want that education quick. We're not patient. When we're not patient, we get angry with each other. We get angry with our friends and our family. We're not gentle. We want our own way. And that's where these divides come in. You believe what I think, or we're done, or I riot, or I burn, or I pull down statues. Humility in this era when Paul is writing. Some scholars say that the Greeks and the Romans had no word for humility. There was no word in their vocabulary because pride was so cherished that being humble was a joke. But not for the Christian. We are to be humble. Because God, God humbled himself to the point of death and death on a cross to pay for our sin. He humbled himself, took the position of a slave to rescue us. It's amazing news. Amazing. And Paul continues in verse 3, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is over all, in all, and living through all. There is one gospel. There is one God. Anybody is welcome into this family, but we must accept it. But the world hates that message. It hates the exclusiveness of Christ. Why only Jesus? Why not Allah? Why not Buddha? Why not the raven? Why not my own good moral living? Jesus is the only way. And there is a way out. If you're in a building, if you're in this building, it is on fire, and there's one exit. And I say, hit the exit. You don't stop and think, is there another exit that I could use? No. The rational mind would think, I'll take the door. I will be grateful when I go on the other side. I can see my family, my friends, and live. But the world wants to say, there's other gods. There is no other God. There is no other name. There is one God, one faith, one baptism, one hope in which we stand. We are united around that fact. Paul is very specific in what we are to be united around. We're not united for the sake of unity. We are united for the sake of Christ and his gospel as displayed in the Bible. We must do so peacefully. Some of us, we have a lot of theological, biblical training. And we can go to any conversation and just squash people. But the humble, gentle person doesn't do that. You know what it means to be meek? Meek is not weak. Meek is controlled strength. As a father, I am meek with my children. I try to be. I have strength and need to control that strength in humility and gentleness. We must create unity through peace. Why? Why? do we strive for unity? Well, so we don't burn each other's houses down. That's fair. But there's something deeper. If you're a Christian, everything we do is a reflection of who God is. Everything we do is a reflection of who God is. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because he first forgave us. We are united because God is united. God is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is diversity in that. Just like there should be diversity in churches. But there is unity. There is unity in the diversity. And so in our unity, we display God to the world. This is our highest motive. Our motivation is not primarily one another. Our primary motivation is to glorify The seven characteristics that we're to be united under are found in verse 4 to 6. It's worth reading again. For there's one body, one spirit, just as you've been called, to one glorious hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Those are the things we're united under. Verses 4 to 6. We're to be united, but we don't have to be uniform. We don't have to be like each other. We shouldn't be like each other. We are to be diverse, have different stories, have different backgrounds. We're all made different, yet there's diversity in our unity. And Paul spells that out in verse 7 to 10. He says, starting in verse 7, However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it it says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. There's an expectation for the church to be united, but in our unity, there is diversity. Each one of us is given gifts. Given gifts for the unity of the church and the growth of the church. Not numerically, but in depth, in spiritual maturity. Not just numerically, but in spiritual maturity. We should all as Christians be maturing in Christ Becoming more like Christ every day, every week, every year. If you do not know Christ, we are to introduce people to Christ. And thus, the family and the kingdom of God grows. And so much of what churches do, they're asking essentially two questions Are we to grow the congregation? Are we to grow from 50 to 200 to 250 to 1,000 exponentially? Are we to grow the congregation or are we to grow the congregants? Do we grow the congregants? That they would be mature in humility. That they would be more Christ-like in their marriage. That they would be more gentle in their singleness. That they would be more loving like Jesus every day month every year we are progressing the picture is of a canoe going down a river and we are to keep going and some of us are stuck so another canoe comes over gets you out of there and say let's go i'll help you your mother's sick please let me pray for you you're not doing well. Can I, can I cook for you? You need me to watch your kids for a little bit so you can get a little bit of a rest. We help one another. Churches don't look to their leaders and expect the leaders to care for everyone. Rather, together we care for one another, as a family does. And we have different gifts. Some are more gifted in hospitality. Some are very good at talking to people, sparking conversation. Some not so much. Maybe more background players. But we work together. If you've ever watched a movie, which I'm sure you have, if you ever look at the credits, it's not just Brad Pitt, the end. There's like a thousand names. Maybe more than a thousand names in, in an hour and a half film. You may never see that person's face. This is just a shadow of what the church does. We all have one goal, one mission. To spread the glory of God throughout the world. And we all have a different function. But we must serve. We must find out where we should serve. How we are to serve. And maybe the leaders can help you in that. For this is the role of the leaders of the church. Verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility, underline, highlight, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 12, if you are a church leader, if you're listening, or what should you expect of your church leaders? Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. If you come to the Northern Collective and you call it home, our aim as leaders, when I say leaders, I'll be more specific. Myself, Andrew Stark, Tony Enns, Brent Ristow, we are the elders of this church. This is our job. To help people mature in Christ. Our job is not vision casting and what are the latest trends and statistics and church growth models and bring that in so the Northern Collective grows up to be this crazy circus. It is to see each one of you maturing in faith. And so a lot of that is their phone calls. They're visiting you. They're praying for you. And I'll admit, our church is small, and it is still hard to keep tabs on everybody. Maybe keep tabs sounds too like police surveillance, but it's hard for us to all care for you, though we want to. You know, when we were eight people, we knew exactly where everybody was. But we must take care of one another. If we see that a part of the body is hurting, that person either needs to say something, or we need to go and initiate and say, do you need a helping hand right now? How can I help you? How can I come alongside you? The church isn't some pyramid where the elders are on the top and everybody else is on the bottom. We are one body. We have different tasks, and God has given each of you abilities and gifts according to His mercy. It's easy for me as a pastor, especially now when every church is online and everything's on social media, to look at a church and be like, man, that church is hopping. They have an $11 million budget. I'm happy when I see a few bills in our giving thing. You guys are very generous, by the way. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. You guys are extremely generous. We're in a very good financial position by the grace of God. But then I look at that, and I get jealous. I think they have 20 staff. I have no staff. I have to get my kids to put these cards on your chairs. (laughs) But that's not us. God has given each of us a call. He's given you a specific context and and myself included. The worst game to play is the comparing game. It's easy to feel real good about yourself and you say, hey, look at Jimmy. At least I'm not like Jimmy. Or you can make yourself feel horrible. You look at Jimbo. Jim Neal's not here, but I don't know why that's always the first name that comes to my mind. I'm not knocking Jim. If you're listening, Jim, it's not you. I'm made up person. But you can look at these big churches, right? 450,000. Congress- that's mind blowing. People writing books. I'm struggling to sleep at night with just not only thinking about these things, I got my kids. They're waking up like whack a mole. <laughs> and all these pastors are writing books doing conferences and stuff and like oh I want to do that I want people to hug me and say I'm great <laughs> uh, But you know thank you Brent but we don't need that because Christ has already accepted us fully accepted into his family and now we're not looking for the interests of ourselves we look for the interests of others and that's hard to do and that's something I need to work on. I need to pray for you guys. I need to pray for my own family. I pray for churches around the world. So what's going to be the result? If the leaders of the church are doing their job, and the people are ready for service, what is the result? Verses 12 to 14. We'll go to 13. the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The picture of the church is a body with Christ as the head, as the primary driver, director, sustainer of the body. And we all have a role to play. You are maybe a fingernail in the body. Maybe you're an elbow. Maybe you're like a toe and you bring balance. But have you ever been injured? Leg broken, wrist hurt, chronic pain. The whole body compensates, doesn't it? We need to be healthy, Paul says. And we need to look out for one another. We all have a part to do in building up the body of Christ. And every believer should be involved in some kind of ministry. When I say that, I'm not saying you need to be on the Sound and Media team. I'm not saying you need to be part of children's ministry. But what I am saying is is the gifts that God has given you. Us as a church, we need to make space for you to flourish as a Christian. Whatever that is. Maybe it's it's talking to the homeless on the street and visiting them. Maybe it's making that phone call to those you know who are hurting and need a friend or someone to listen to. Maybe it's baking that very warm, soft chocolate chip cookie, delivering it to my house (laughs) in Copper Ridge and leaving it outside with a nice note. Whatever it is, we are to use our gifts for the building up of the body. And when the world sees that, when the world sees that, they don't say, Northern Collective, let's get get you in the news. They say, they serve an amazing God. They serve an amazing God. I'll end with this quote from pastor. I don't know his name, but I didn't say this. He did. Quote, God is not so much interested in our being the star of the show as he is in our doing our best with the part he has given us. I'm going to say that again. God is not so much interested in our being the star of the show as he is in our doing our best with the part he has given us. What part have you been given? Are you doing your best? And he ends by saying, as we all do our own part, we experience church growth. There's a part of me that wants the Northern Collective to be the biggest church in the whole world and take over, like when you're playing Risk. You ever play Risk? You just like take over countries and it just like, turns black, turns black. There's a part of me that wants that. But that's not a good part of me. The Bible realigns our thinking, our hopes, and our dreams in a good way that more aligns with God. I would rather see you, and if you're the only people who ever come here, I want want you to be healthy in Christ. I want you to mature in Christ. And through that, I see people come to Christ. And the church grows that way. Not through these models. Not through these authors out there. On Facebook, I don't know how many ads I get. Do you want to reach 1,000% of your city? Just take this five-day course for free and we'll do that. That strange, sinful part of me wants that course. But when I read the Bible and we open up the Bible and we see we should be striving for unity and maturity, this is the goal, the glory of God, the unity of the body and the growth of one another. That is the goal. I'm sorry if you come to this church and I haven't checked up or been alongside you when you needed us most or me. I am. We do want to be better at that. But I do hope you know that Christ has always been there. And he is there. But let's work together. Let's work together. I'm not the CEO. I'm just one part in this body. And we work together for his glory and the flourishing of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your incredible and invincible love I thank you for your unity. I thank you for your word. And I pray that we would strive to be one. And when we are divided, we would have the humility in the gospel to admit where we are wrong. And to not bring it up every dinner time. To look to the cross and to thank you in all joy for what you've done for us. We pray this in the magnificent Beautiful, glorious, precious name of Jesus. Amen.